0: Well, good morning. Glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Okay, we got it. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Uh, I just want to take a moment to say thanks to to Pastor Brian and and Kasha so much for the opportunity to come back home. As Pastor Brian mentioned, this is the place that that I terrorized as a child. Uh, Sister Clay, I can remember her chasing me up and down these halls. Uh, This is where I learned to speak in front of people because when the kids' musicals were happening, I was so bad at music, she wouldn't let me sing, so I had to speak. I mean, this is that place. Um, I I just remember causing all sorts of trouble. My Sunday school teachers got snakes and frogs and and all sorts of things that came to church. But this is also uh, the place that I learned about God. This is the place that taught me what it was to, to worship him, to learn scripture, to fall in love in a relationship with him. It's at these altars that I not only accepted Christ, was filled with the spirit, it was in the baptismal tank that I didn't just baptize goldfish, but that I was baptized. And uh, yeah, this is a very special place for me, for my family, my, my grandmother. This is kind of where our whole family's journey began with Jesus. And so it's a privilege to be back with you. It's a privilege to be here this morning. And I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. I want to take a moment to kind of jump in. Well, let me take a moment to just uh, let you know what's going on. This church has been a tremendous supporter of our family and the ministries we've been involved with over the years. Um, In the back, we do have some prayer cards as well as an email newsletter sign-up sheet if you want to keep up with us. Uh, the journeys that we're on, the the ministries that are happening, prayer requests, you can put your email down on that sheet and we'll be happy to keep up with you via email on a monthly, bi-monthly basis. Uh, We've got a number of thousands of people that stay connected with us that way and it's just, uh, we believe that this is an opportunity for the whole church to not just uh, get connected to Alaska or know about it from TV but also begin praying for some of the needs that are there. Um, As Pastor mentioned, we spent almost a decade in Southeast Asia in a closed communist country, Um, and uh, in a miraculous way, the Lord spoke audibly to me while I was away from my family, and he essentially said three words. He said, go to Alaska. Uh, It's a long story, but I laughed out loud. It was close to 120 degrees that day um, in in that part of the world, and uh, when I got done laughing, the presence of the Lord descended in that room in such a way that I knew that he was serious. And this was a difficult moment for me. My wife and I had committed a long time ago that we were going to spend our lives reaching the unreached. But uh, as I wrestled with the Lord, I remember walking out of that room, I ducked through the doorway, and I put my hand on the, the head of that door. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to convince my wife because she will never go to Alaska. We do not like the cold. We do not like the dark. We live in the tropics. This is a wonderful place. And uh, I remember coming home three days, and to make a very long story short, I found my wife upstairs uh, on the computer, and when I came home, I said, honey, what are you doing up so late? It was late at night, and she said, I'm looking up houses for sale in Alaska. And while the Lord had been speaking with me, he'd been speaking with her, and that began a journey almost seven years ago now of us transitioning from uh, a closed communist nation in Southeast Asia to to basically going to Alaska and doing what I I believe is the exact same thing, making disciples who know how to make disciples. When we left Asia, the Lord told us to do three things, or he promised us three things. He said when we left there, that what we'd started wouldn't uh, stop. And we've seen that, I've taken teams back over the last five years, and the church that we helped establish in this country is flourishing. It's growing, there's dozens and dozens of house churches now spotted all across this persecuted land. Uh, The second thing that he said is that we weren't going to go alone, and when we went to Alaska We took a team of, of close to 13 people that God had placed on their hearts to reach this state and the rural places And the last thing that he spoke to us was this simple thought that what we'd learned in Asia We were supposed to take to Alaska and that is this concept of discipleship I believe that we need to help people grow in their walk with God, but not just grow be able to lead others in their relate to know God and grow in their relationship with Jesus in the physical realm we talk about maturity and we recognize that when someone is mature they have the capacity to reproduce and I believe that in the spiritual realm that when you have the capacity to reproduce you are growing and you are becoming mature in your walk with God and so over the past five years we've started discipleship groups on the campus with the vision to mobilize them to rural villages Uh, This year, we've wrapped up training close to 200 small group leaders. We've seen over 300 people make decisions for Christ. And we're coming into a phase with a training center that we're about to mobilize teams into rural villages into Alaska. And I don't have time to get into all of the details. I'd love to share with you uh, the, the, the things that are happening there. And throughout the message this morning, I'll share a couple stories. But this is what I can tell you, is that Alaska is a hurting place. It leads the country by more than double in suicide. Alcoholism is rampant. Drug abuse is unbelievable. The statistic that that is touted right now is that if you grew up in a village in Alaska, there is if you are, by the time you're 18 years age, not just a young woman or a young, a young woman or a young man, you will have been sexually abused growing up in a village in this state. It is an unbelievably difficult, dark place. But how many people know that, that God is bigger and above and beyond? And it doesn't matter what the statistics are. Come on. It doesn't matter what the statistics are. Our God is in the miracle business, is he not? Our God is the one who can heal the brokenness of our lives. He can, he can make all things new again. And so we're seeing that. We're seeing that over and over and over again. And we believe, listen church, in the next three to five years that we're going to have 100 plus workers moving in and out through the villages of Alaska. It's happening. I'd love to stay connected with you. You can do that through our newsletter. Uh, But this morning, I really have a burden on my heart. Uh, Since talking to Pastor Brian about this service, there's been a a portion of Scripture that has kind of been rolling through my heart and through my mind, and I I don't want to just tell stories this morning. I want to get into God's Word because I believe, as Pastor Brian mentioned, I believe that God wants to do miracles this morning. I believe he wants to move in all of our hearts, not just yours, but in mine too. He wants to cause there to be uh, an encounter with him. This past semester at school, I preached an entire series on this one concept of encountering God because having an encounter with Jesus changes everything. Knowing about him is not enough. You have to have a personal relationship with him. You have to encounter with him so uh this morning i want to kind of continue i want to actually step in line with what pastor brian's been talking about this this concept of when pigs fly um i don't know if you guys uh, think that's funny or not but when i i heard it when he was sharing with me about this i i thought to myself that is a beautiful perspective of of what our god wants to do he wants to do the miraculous and the mighty in our lives when i was uh young in ministry probably my early 20s i was a youth pastor in ohio And uh, I took a team to the nation of El Salvador. And uh, I'd been there as a teenager, and this was kind of me going back and visiting the missionaries that had so impacted my life. And so we were jumping around to different villages. We were doing outreach in the street evangelism. And, and in the evenings, we would have services at these local churches, these small little places dotted around, around this rural country. And, and so we're in this church one night, and, and I have the opportunity to speak. And at the end of our, our time, there was just a handful of people. But we, we gave an opportunity for salvation. And, and then we said, if there's any needs in the church, we'd, we'd like to be able to pray for you. And I remember as I, I made that announcement, this woman was, was standing near the back, and, and she reached out and she picked up this child. It was a little girl, probably four or five years old, and, and she picked her up as if she was like a sack of, of potatoes or something. It was, she was laid across her arms, and her legs and her body just seemed to be completely limp. And she stormed to the front of that building. It, it took me by surprise, and, and I went over. Obviously, there was a, a need to be prayed for, and as I, I went over, the, through the interpretation, I was told that this mother wanted me to pray for her daughter, who was this young four- or five-year-old girl who had been born paralyzed. She hadn't been able to use her legs her entire life. And now I wish I could tell you that in this moment my faith raised up and I was excited and, and had 100% belief and confidence in what was about to happen, but, but instead I became very insecure. I don't know if you guys have ever met a need that you know that you are incapable of meeting and all of a sudden the insecurity comes. Am I the only one? Okay, that's me. I'm in this moment, 23, 24 years old, and I am incredibly insecure in this moment, but I know that I'm in charge, and that I'm supposed to be leading this team that is looking to me for faith, and so somehow I gather these young teenagers up. I gather them in a circle, and I explain the need to them, and I look at them, and with all the courage and the confidence that I can muster, I tell them that our God heals, and that if we believe, and if we have faith, and if we cry out to him that God will heal this child. Now, we gathered around that girl, and I don't have you guys ever prayed like it all depended upon you? Like the Pentecostal circle moment where it is just utter chaos, and and everybody is leaning in in that moment, and you are praying with all of your might? Well, we started to lean in, and as we began to cry out to the Lord, it was way too soon. Listen, it was way too soon because the mother was somehow just inspired by faith. And in the first 15 seconds, she took her child and she began to set her down. And in my heart, I was like terrified. I'm like, this is, it's, she's not ready yet. We haven't had that moment, that, that recognition, like this is not how this is supposed to happen right now. And I know that like in my mind, I'm just terrified. Uh, and, and all of a sudden she sets this girl down and she's like standing. And all of us, all the Americans, the El Salvadorans are going crazy, right? They're having a blast because they recognize that God heals because they live in a world in a situation that they're desperate for the needs of God. Their needs require a miraculous intervention. So often, our needs require a visit to the hospital. And so often, our faith is not built up in these moments, right? But all of a sudden, this girl is standing there, and all of these teenagers and myself, our jaws are on the ground, right? And she's like wobbling, you know, just like a, a, a little child that's learning to walk, and I'm, I'm literally watching her move her legs. And all of a sudden, I recognized and started to believe in my heart that our God does heal, that our God does meet our needs, that our God does do miracles. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look uh, at uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to Look at the story of Elijah and Elisha. And I want to look at it through the lens of uh, receiving and releasing the Spirit of God in your life. Obtaining the mantle. You see, this mother, who so powerfully set her child down in a moment of faith, in a moment of belief and trust in her God, Did some few things that I believe have helped initiate or activate faith in my life. They've helped me understand the the necessity of this receiving and releasing the Spirit of God. And as we read this story of Elijah and Elisha, I believe it parallels some of these things that, that, that happened with this mother. And I believe that we can look at this story and we can understand how Elisha received the Spirit of God. And if by understanding the steps that he took, we can understand how we can receive and release the Spirit of God in our lives. Are are you guys with me? Okay. So let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, We'll begin reading there. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 uh, through 14. It says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. I love that part. Be quiet. Just, yeah, it just reminds me of some of the moments with my own children. All right, so good. Verse 4, Elijah said to him—I got my son in the room, so sorry, Tag. Um, I I like to get sidetracked, but I'm not going to go any further. All right, Elijah, verse 4, said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho— "'But he said, "'As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you.' "'So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, "'Do you know that today the Lord will take away from you, from your master, from over you?' "'And he answered, "'Yes, I know it. Keep quiet.'" Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Spectacular. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Now I want to pause here and just make something really clear. Elisha is asking for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Now, that is not Elijah's spirit. It's not his personality. This is the spirit of God. The spirit of God is the the spirit that is leading and giving power and authority and guiding Elijah. And so when Elisha is asking for a double portion, he's asking for a double portion of the spirit of God. Verse, uh, I believe it's 10. Verse 11, as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. I want you just to close your eyes with me, and I want you to just imagine this scene, all right? Just, just try to imagine as I talk, it's a lonely stretch of riverbank. A shocked and stunned young man stands squinting into the bright sunlight, and he's searching the sky. Suddenly, his attention is shifted to the ground around him, and he anxiously searches for something that he's lost. A look of excitement and relief lights his face as he sprints across the rough, rocky riverbed and stoops to pick up a dirty, tattered piece of clothing. Examining it carefully, he clutches it to himself as if it is his most valued possession. It is. With tears in his eyes, he realizes that he has just received the spirit that he had asked for. Elisha is now the next generation of God's prophets. The mantle that he clutched to his chest symbolizes more of God's spirit, more of God's power, more of God in his life. The story tells how one young man was willing to pursue the Spirit of God for his life. But as I said before, more importantly, I believe that it can help us understand how we can live in the Spirit of God for our lives. Why don't you open your eyes and just, I want to give you a brief background before we jump into this morning's message. Um. What you need to understand about this story is that it's not just a story out of the Old Testament. This is what theologians refer to as a typology. Basically, it is a story with incredible symbolism, and it's a typology of Christ, meaning that it, it foreshadows or it looks forward to, to Christ himself and, and the actions that he would have in the New Testament of dying on the cross and being raised from the dead and, and ascending into heaven and, and the Holy Spirit coming back and, and, and being available for you and me. So in the Old Testament, the Jordan is a symbol of death, and so when Elijah and Elisha cross into the Jordan, it is the symbol that they are dying, just like Christ died on the cross. And when they come to the other side, it's, it's the symbolism of, of Christ uh, being resurrected, and so Elijah has been raised from the dead. He's crossed through death. And then we see this moment of ascension where the chariots of fire and the horsemen come, and they, they whisk Elijah up into the to heavens and and the next thing is what becomes so important for critical for us to understand that as he goes up what happens the Spirit of God comes down a double portion of God's Spirit is now available for the son of Elijah the spiritual son of Elijah and when you think about this typology when you recognize it it's this beautiful picture of exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and for me And that symbolism goes beyond that in understanding that that when Christ descended into heaven, he said that it's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, so that the Comforter, the Helper might be able to come. Because he then made the Spirit of God available for each and every one of us in this room. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was for priests and prophets and kings. It was for special people who had a special call to do something unique and special. But just like Elijah made this available for his spiritual son, when Christ was ascended into heaven, he made the Spirit of God available for you and for me today. What this means, church, is that miracles like the one I talked about in El Salvador are not just for this book. It's not just for history. It's not just for stories around the campfire. This is for our lives. This is a reality. This is truth. And it's something that is within our reach, but we have to understand how to receive, how to begin to uh, mobilize this spirit into our lives. And so what I want to do, as I said before, is we're going to look at some of the steps. The steps that that Elisha took that are gonna help us understand what he did to obtain the mantle, the presence of God in his life that I believe we need in our lives. The first step that he mentions that that I see in this story comes out of 2 Kings, actually it's 1 Kings. We're gonna go back a, a chapter and I haven't read this yet, but the first step that he took is I believe that Uh, Elisha chose. Now, he chose the spirit. Um, This may seem pretty simplistic, but I want you to to hear what's happening. This is just a few verses in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So this is the first encounter that Elisha has with Elijah. In verse 19, it says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him." You see, this seems so simple, this simple idea that that Elisha chose the Spirit of God. What you understand is that he didn't begin choosing the Spirit of God in 2 Kings chapter 2. He actually chose the Spirit of God in 1 Kings chapter 19. You see, it was in this moment that he recognized that he had an opportunity to have a different kind of life. He had an opportunity to, to walk with God in a unique and a special way. And what we see here is that he got to choose God. This is your chance. So many of us walk through life and and we think that, that this kind of reality, this kind of relationship with God is only for special people. It's only for missionaries halfway around the world or pastors who've been to to seminary or know their theology. But what you need to understand is that that this foreshadowing, this typology that's going on in this story is telling us that this is our chance, that, that Jesus Christ is coming alongside of you and he's tapping you on the shoulder and he's throwing his mantle around you and you have a choice. When was the last time you had an imagination about your relationship with God? When was the last time you dreamed about what it would be like to be like Moses? To be like the Apostle Paul, to dream about walking with him so intimately that he would whisk you up into heaven before you died? You understand that that kind of relationship is available for every single person in this room, that each person sitting in these chairs, each person walking on this planet has the capacity to know God in that way. We just have to choose. He didn't just choose the Spirit of God, he chose to be with Elijah. Now listen, this is often relegated to insignificance. The old adage, right, you are who you hang out with. I used to say that all the time as a youth pastor, show me your friends, show me your future, right? I spent a lot of time with college students, and I am always unsurprised at how people turn out All I have to do is look who they spend time with. Elijah came and and threw a mantle around Elisha's shoulder and said, come hang out with me. Come spend time with me. And Elisha understood that this was a man that knew God, that had the presence of God, that would teach him how to walk with God. And so he spent time with him. He chased him. Scripture says that he assisted him. Now you need to understand that Elisha is a wealthy man. He's the heir to a fortune. He's got 12 pair of oxen. Where we lived, if someone had 12 pair of of water buffalo, they had money, all right? This guy has money. He's got resources. But he understands that if he's going to have the Spirit of God in his life, he has to spend time with people who are chasing the Spirit of God. Who do we spend time with? Who do we want to influence our lives? Are we we spending time with people who are seeking careers, finances, retirement, pleasure, relaxation, sports, relationships? The list goes on and on. Or are we spending time who who make Jesus Christ the priority of their lives? Elisha didn't just choose the spirit or choose to be with. He also chose to burn the ships. You guys ever heard that, that statement? If you paid attention in history, it's this explorer, and I think it's 1519, a guy named Cortez. He's from Spain. He landed on the shores of Mexico, and they were tasked with uh, basically exploring and colonizing this new land, right? And so he had these ships, and, but as they landed, the, the, the crew and the people that were with them started to become afraid, and so there was this plan to, to get back on the ships and, and to go back to Spain. And, and instead, what Cortez did is he went out in the middle of the night, and, and he set the ships on fire, And what's amazing is that history looks at that moment and and they say that that group of people succeeded and they thrived. Why? Because they burned the ships. Because they had no other option. When I think about Elisha in this moment, listen, I said he's a wealthy man, right? And the first thing that he does is he goes back and he slaughters his everyday existence. Twelve pair of oxen plowed the field. They made his livelihood possible. And when he goes back and he kills them, he begins to burn the ships. But it would be so easy to take that pair of yoke, the, the tools that go around those animals so as they plow, it's called a yoke. It's this big hunk of wood that they put on the shoulders of, of cows or buffalo. And, and, but it would have been so easy to take those to the barn and set them aside and say, well, perhaps if this doesn't work out, if this isn't the career path that, that is for me, perhaps things will, will be different in the future. I need to keep this back here. I need to have this available. I mean, we can always breed more oxen, but these these yoke, man, they are expensive. They have been passed down from generation to generation. But instead, what scripture says is he didn't just kill his present, he killed his future. He burned the ships. Church, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to keep my options open, right? I like to wait to the last possible minute to make a decision. Because I want to understand all the different variables that are going on. But this is not how we have an interaction with Jesus. This is not how we obtain the mantle, the spirit, the presence of God in our lives. The way we do it is we make a choice and we jump in with both feet. We are not willing to look back. Scripture says that by looking back, we're not suitable for the task. We jump in. We burn the ships. Now this looks looks really different in a, a lot of different ways, but are you still hanging on to sins that, that you're not sure you want to kill? Are you still hanging on to lifestyles or relationships that, that need to pass on, but somehow you're keeping them on the wings just in case this Christian thing doesn't work out? I want to tell you a story about a young man named Lloyd. Lloyd. Lloyd was, uh, he's Inupiaq, which basically what we would say down here in the, what we call up in Alaska, the lower 48. You guys are the lower 48. We are not. Um, little Alaskan culture, and just so you know, up there, we do not have snowmobiles. We have snow machines. Now, I have argued with them that snow machines make snow. Snowmobiles go, but uh, they will not believe that, and they're, they're they've been there longer than I am, so I just go with it, all right? But Lloyd, I think there's a picture of him, Lloyd is uh, from the northernmost village in North America, from a town called Barrow. Uh, it's it got a different native name, but, but I don't know what it is. It's way too hard to comp, it's like these biblical names times 10. All right, so Lloyd, we met Lloyd because of one of his friends came to know Jesus. So his friend came to the university, and part of our vision is that the university is a hub. It's like a, a, a place that we can connect with people from all over the state. Every single village in the state is represented at the universities, and the vision is that if we can make disciples at this place and then mobilize them to go home, we can send disciple makers all across the state. And they're indigenous, which means they understand who they are, their own culture, how to interact with their people. They can bring the gospel to places that, that this six-foot-six kid from, from Adrian, Michigan, has no business going, right? And so we met Lloyd because his, one of his friends came to know Jesus. And, and his life was so radically changed that, that he went back for the summer that, that Lloyd couldn't figure it out. And so the next year, Lloyd came to Fairbanks not to go to school, but to try to figure out what in the world is happening to his friend. His life has become so radically different, and so he got connected with one of our small groups. He's hanging out. He's just spending time doing ridiculous things together because love and laughter plows hard hearts. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but if you want to see someone's life be changed, love and laughter... Love and laughter plows hard hearts. And so they're doing love and laughter together. And I would begin to prod and poke and ask Lloyd, when are you going to accept Christ? When are you going to when are you going to begin learn to surrender your life and walk with him? And, and to make a long story short, it was probably four or five months. And Lloyd is wrestling. Like he, no one in his family walks with God. No one in his world, in his circle, has a relationship with Jesus. And, and he's wrestling with this tremendously. And he can't seem to make a decision. And so one of the guys challenged him and essentially said, Let, pray that the Lord would reveal himself to you. And so it was a couple nights later, Lloyd went to sleep and, and he began to have the most vivid dream. Now, I know that you've never been to the tundra. Most of you have not been to the tundra, but it is one of the most vast wastelands that you can imagine. It is just mind-boggling. And in the winter, it is snow upon snow and, and the sky just disappears into the snow and it's a, it's a dangerous place. And in his vision, Lloyd sees himself in the tundra, and in that moment, he knows that he's lost. And, and so he's spinning around trying to find anything that would give him an idea of where he's at in that location. And as he spins, he knows that he's going to die. In the next moment, he sees a tiny black dot off into the distance, and so he thinks that that perhaps might be his salvation, and he runs across the tundra, and he comes up to this small Bible laying in the snow. Now, in his heart, he knows that this book has the answer to his lostness. It is the map to his salvation. And so frantically, he bends down, he picks up the book, and he begins to open it up. The problem is is that when he opens it up, every page is blank. In that moment Lloyd woke up and he knew immediately that he could not understand the Bible understand God's Word until he took a step of faith so at three o'clock in the morning he walked over to his roommate's desk where his uh, Bible was sitting and he read most of the New Testament that day and later that evening he called me up and said I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and his life has been changed. Listen, church. Yes, good, amen. Listen, church. Can I, can I tell you it begins with a choice? It begins with a choice. The mantle is being wrapped around your shoulders. The Spirit of God is available to you today. The miracles that happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament should be happening in our churches and in our lives. And it's our choice. The second thing that, that Elisha did that we need to pay attention to is simply this, is that he was willing to chase the Spirit. Now, in 2 Kings 2, and uh, chapter, verses 2, 4, and 6, you'll see this repetition where Elijah looks at Elisha and says, stay here, right? And Elisha looks at him and says, as long as you live and as long as the Lord lives, there's no way that I'm leaving you, right? I am not walking away from you. I'm not walking away from the Spirit of God. You see, not just do we have to choose, but we have to chase. We have to pursue. Scripture talks about this. uh, The Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, not not the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we get those confused. The gifts of the Spirit. And he says that we need to seek, we need to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. Things like prophecy and miracles and healings and faith and tongues and, and interpretations of tongues. All of those things. Scripture says that it is our responsibility to pursue them. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? Against such things there is no law. And that is the, the sanctification process. That is when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, His character begins to overtake our character. The fruit of the Spirit is literally the character of God. And when His character begins to overwhelm our character, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in our lives. The gifts are different. The gifts are like my son who comes to me over and over and over again and says, Dad, I really want this Lego kit. Dad, I really want this this new gun. Dad, I really want this this whatever they want. They've all got wants, right? But they can wear you down. How many parents have ever been worn down? (laughs) It's amazing that my kids get what they want for their birthdays. My nine-year-old just had a birthday, and he was so surprised that he got what he wanted. You want to know why? Because he bugged me to death for nine months that I didn't want to be bothered about those things anymore, right? And so he got what he pursued. The spirit of God is like this as well. But so often we will pursue like one step and then we're like, well, it didn't happen. Guess it's not for me. That's not what we see in scripture and that's not what Elisha teaches us. You see, these are four different locations that are mentioned in this text. There's Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan, right? These have symbolic importance in the Old Testament. Gilgal was a place of obedience. I don't know if you you can dig into it, but in Joshua chapter four and five, this is after the Israelites had been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years and and they come to the edge of the promised land and they come to a place of Gilgal and God asked them to uh, re-covenant with him and he asked them to circumcise all the men. And this is a moment where they looked at each other and they said, are you kidding me? And they said, if you want the promised land, if you want to walk in the spirit that I have for you, you will obey. And Gilgal became a place of obedience. If you wanna see the spirit of God move in your life, you have to obey. Obedience always precedes miracles. Obedience always precedes growth in your life. Obedience always precedes, precedes the provisions of God. It is a spiritual fact. You obey first and God will move. But obedience is enough because obedience by itself will turn to legalism and religiosity, right? You don't obey just to obey. The next place was Bethel. It was a place of encounter with God. This is where Jacob in, in Genesis chapter 28 saw the ladder of God descend from heaven and angels going up and down and Jacob had an encounter with God and all of a sudden you go Gilgal is obedience. Bethel is is an encounter with him. We we can't just stay at obedience doing religious actions. We actually need to know Jesus. But encounters aren't enough. Do you know that you can have encounter after encounter and roll the, ride the roller coaster of, of spiritual life and, and you will go up and down all of your life. You have to move beyond just encounters. You can't love God when he's close or feels close and be distant when he feels distant. The third place was Jericho, and and most of us know what Jericho is. Jericho is the first major victory for the Israelites. They marched around the walls 13 times, and, and the walls came tumbling down. We will have different victories in our lives, but if we get stuck there, We can't get stuck there. We have to continue to pursue the spirit of the Lord. The last place, and I mentioned this earlier, was Elisha followed Elijah through the Jordan River, which was a symbol of death. Jesus says that unless we're willing to die, we cannot live. We have to be willing to die to ourselves. This is one of the spiritual, what I call upside down truths of the gospel. God loves to use the weak things, the broken things, the insufficient things. It's the upside down truths of the gospel. We have to die in order to live. If we're not willing to die to ourselves, how can God's spirit become alive in our lives? I wanna, I, don't, I didn't even ask, what time am I supposed to be done, pastor? He doesn't know, this is dangerous. <laughs> I got 10 minutes. All right. He's worried. <laughs> All right. So let me, just, let me just throw, I've got so many rabbit trails, but let me throw this little piece of, of, of understanding of theology at you, and then we'll move on. Uh, the Spirit of God, if you walk with Jesus, the Spirit of God resides in your life. Do you, do you understand? Uh, scripture talks about a second bless, blessing, a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what what I see this as, that that word baptism, it it means to suffuse. It's, It's this soaking of the Spirit. It's this washing over or washing from within out. And so as i understand the movement of god's spirit in our lives i believe it's like this that that when you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior there's your spirit everyone has a spirit your spirit is made alive in you and it begins to overwhelm your your mind and your emotions and your body it begins to to take control of your life that's why when so many of us get saved something is so different right there's a spectacular difference that happens But often what happens is a couple months down the road, things seem to have moved back to where they were before you made that decision. And this is why. is because your mind and your emotions and your body are warring against the Spirit of God. We are warring against it. It wants to take control. It's had control for all of your lives. And unless you continue to surrender your spirit over to Jesus, that, that war will continue to happen. And when your your mind and your emotions and your, your body take over, you begin to move further away from God. But that, that wellspring is alive inside of you. And it's like a, a spring that has gotten some leaf litter and some branches and some rocks piled on it. And what we have to do is we have to step into this moment where we begin to remove those things that are keeping us from allowing the Spirit of God to suffuse, to soak our lives with His presence so that the the fruit of the Spirit can begin to take hold of who we are and the gifts of the Spirit can move through our lives. And as it suffuses, this is when miraculous and powerful things happen as we are soaked and we begin to reach out and touch and pray and love on on those around us. They're not encountering us. They're encountering the spirit of God that is soaking outside of us. So good. We gotta keep moving. We have to die to our pride. Listen, do not let your pride get in the way of your pursuit of God. If there's one thing that has kept me from coming to altars, it is pride. If there's one thing that has kept me from from chasing after all that Jesus has for my life, it's been pride. Do not let pride get in the way, church. My grandpa, who used to sit right back there, used to tell me that the altar was the place of the foundation of your walk with God. I wish I had, like, a time machine. I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to get into the last step real quickly. Um, it's a story about chasing. I, I want to lighten the mood a little bit, so hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy this as much as I do. Um, I, I've shared this story before, and it always is a, a fun story for me. And, and I was actually debating sharing it, but on the way here, um, I actually drove by a turkey uh, and I thought, no, this is the Lord. I need to tell my turkey story. <laughs> True story. All right. So when I was in college, I was at Bible college, and I'm an avid hunter outdoorsman. Like, I call this my city camouflage. Like, I, I'm not a—I'm much more comfortable out in the woods, around the rivers, fishing. This is—Alaska was made for me, kind of thing. And so— um, When I was in college, I started to take interest in turkey hunting. I did a lot of deer hunting in Missouri and I started seeing a lot of turkeys and I thought, man, I can get some of those and I bet they're delicious. And so I read magazines, read books, I watched some videos, and, and to make a long story short, opening morning, turkey season, I'm sitting on the edge of the woods with my decoys 40 or 50 yards in front of me, and I'm making the calls, and the turkeys are roosted behind me, just like it's, I was supposed to do. And as the sun comes up over the ridge, these turkeys fly out of the trees, down into the field like B-52 bombers, and they land next to my decoys, and, and they're marching around, and I'm just, my heart is going crazy, and I'm having like, this is, perfect and so as this big gobbler moves across my decoys I lift my shotgun and I, the bead settles on his head and I slowly squeeze the trigger The gun goes off, the turkey starts flopping, right? Because I shot the turkey, and he's flopping all over the place, and I'm just exuberant. I take my shotgun, I lean it up against the tree, and I start to march out across this field to gather my prize, right? And all of a sudden, I get to be about this close to the turkey, and the turkey all of a sudden stopped flopping, and it found its feet, all right? Now listen, turkeys are not small, right? We're not dealing with a little bunny rabbit here. We're dealing with a thirty to forty pound bird, and there is like all of a sudden this turkey is is not like dying. He's looking at me, (laughs) and I'm looking at him. Like this is, uh, and the first thought that goes through my mind is that my shotgun is fifty yards behind me in the woods, right? And, and the first thing that goes through his mind is get away from this jolly green giant, right? I look like the swamp thing, and, and so he takes off across this field, and I have to make a decision. I have to choose. What do I want? Do I want a shotgun or do I want a turkey? And so in that moment, I chose that I wanted a turkey. And so you saw this six-foot-six jolly green giant chasing a wild turkey around this field. God's honest truth. Listen. I was a college athlete. i just finished my college basketball season. I was in the shape of my life, all right? And I realized that in a matter of seconds that I was not going to catch this bird. It was not going to happen. And so in that moment, I made a rash decision, and I decided to dive and tackle a wild turkey. So no lie, I am being beat to death by a turkey's wings. His spurs are going crazy, right? His feet tearing my clothes, he's kicking me. I'm wrestling a wild turkey on the ground. I finally get this bird underneath my arm, and what do you do with a wild bird underneath your arm? You wring its neck, right? And so I grab his head, and with as much vengeance as I could muster, because I was unhappy at this moment, I went and I twisted his neck. Now listen, did you know that a turkey's head can rotate 180 degrees? Did you know that your arm cannot? And here we are looking at each other, right? The whole reason I tell that is listen, sometimes we have to choose and sometimes we have to chase. Come on. I'm just waiting. <laughs> I told you I like telling that story. Oh. Church, we live in a world that doesn't like the mystical, doesn't believe in miracles. We live in a world that will try to explain away everything. But as I tell my students, if God is not other, if He is not beyond our comprehension, then He is not God. Do you really want to serve a God that you can understand, that can be brought down to your grasp? There is so much more. I don't care if you've been serving God for 90 years. He has more. I don't care if you've been walking with him for three days. He has more. Keep chasing after Jesus. The final step that we need to talk about quickly is simply this, is that Elisha showed courage and confidence in the Spirit. I want to read uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 12 to 14 quickly. It says, uh, And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father. So the chariots have just taken away uh, Elisha, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over." You see, what I want us to understand here is some, some simple things. First of all, Elisha claimed his identity. Do you understand that, that in this moment, Elisha took the role, the, the, the calling, the purpose of becoming the prophet of Israel. Becoming the voice of the Lord, the, the one that God would, would speak through and do miracles through right? He claimed his identity. He tore his clothes. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in the Old Testament about about tearing your clothes, but in my mind, it's this concept of he's grieving, he's lost, he's, he's unsure, but it's also I'm tearing off who I used to be, and I'm claiming that double portion. I'm claiming the identity that God has for my life. Church, listen to me. We have to step in and claim with confidence and courage the identity that God has for each and every one of us. Not just as a child or a son of God, but Christ literally said that if you believe in him, that you would do greater miracles than he did on this earth. How many of us have the confidence to step into that identity of someone who walks with God and says, I can move mountains. I can heal the sick. I can cast the demons out. Not because of who I am, but because of who the God God I serve is. The other thing that, that he claimed was his promise, I love this, he goes over and I just imagine him picking up that piece of fabric and if it was me, he'd like start twisting it up because when I was a kid I used to twist up towels like a rat tail. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so I'd be like twisting it up and I could see myself cracking that whip on the, the water and like this very, I, I just see this very, I don't know, Walt Disney movie picture concept of just snap and all of a sudden the, the water goes up and it's spectacular, right? He didn't just claim his identity, he claimed his promise. God's made promises to us. We do not serve a powerless God, church. And then there's this concept of activation of faith. Elisha didn't stand back and just be like, well, what's gonna happen now? No immediately he began to act immediately he began to step out immediately he began to claim his identity claim his purpose claim his his promise for his life he grabbed that cloak and he rolled it up and he striked the water and he cries out and and let me just tell you this faith without actions is useless actions activate our faith one of the great theologians His name is escaping me right now, but I read it recently, he said essentially this, I believe, therefore I can understand. I believe, therefore the Lord opens up my heart and my mind to what he wants to say. It's not understanding first, it's believing first. It's not miracle first, it's stepping out in faith first. It's acting first, right? This year has been an interesting year for us in ministry. We've seen four or five different miracles happen and it's been a progression of growing faith. Like, if you look at Elisha's story, he first parts the water. The next story in the Bible is that he heals poisonous water. And then he prays for a woman who's barren and she becomes pregnant. And then he raises the dead. It's kind of like this escalation of faith. It's this growing understanding. I did what I've seen done. Like, he parted the water. I'm going to try that. Now now I'm going to step out. and We parted water. Maybe we can heal water. Well, if we can heal water, I bet we can heal the water, the womb that's inside the woman, and and we can bring life from that. Well, if we can bring life from a barren womb, we can raise the dead. Do you see the progression? Do you guys understand the Bible is not an accident? These are not random stories. They're designed to build our faith. So it was November, December-ish. I had this amazing young man who's walking with God. He's leading people to Christ. It seems like every other week, it's just spectacular. His name's Trevor. But Trevor has been challenged with this concept of, of, I need to see miracles following my life. It's this beautiful thing. And so he just starts praying for people. They'll say, oh, my shoulder hurts. Can I pray for you? It's kind of weird on a secular campus, but okay. Wow, my shoulder feels better. And it's every month he's coming to me. Hey, I prayed for this Chinese student. Never known God before, but I prayed for him. He wants to know more about Jesus. No kidding, right? And, and over and over and over again, Well, it was over Christmas break, January-ish. I was running late for something and we've got this staircase in our home. And, and you know, I used to be athletic, now I'm just old, all right? And so I leaped down the staircase thinking I could somehow land and, you know, do my 10 point whatever they do in gymnastics, you know. I'm really bad at this right now, so. And my ankle turned, like it didn't just turn, it turned. When I was in college, I dislocated my foot. My foot came off the end of my leg and slid up my leg with my shoe still on it. Leg bone comes out. I know what it means to turn an ankle, right? It was that kind of a turn. And I cried out, my family was in the car. They came in because I was so loud. And, And I asked them to pray. And so I'm praying, they're praying over me and my daughter begins to pray. I asked my daughter specifically and she's praised with faith and then, then like we all do and it's like, well, Lord, if you don't wanna heal him right now, we're gonna trust you in this moment to do, to do what you wanna do. And I, I just felt my faith rise up and I said, no. This is, I've never done anything like this before in my life. I said, no, Madeline, God wants to heal my foot. And what's wild is, is this wonderful presence in my brain said, get up and start walking. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand, Lord. He's like, get up. And I'm looking at my kids who I've just said, no, we're not going to do that. And I, I start to, I stand up and I walk up the stairs and I walk down the stairs and I walk up the stairs. And we went on our journey as if nothing had happened. And I was blown away about that. My kids started to have their faith activated. Just three days later, I was preaching at a, a youth winter retreat had great services, just great experiences. And at the end of one of our services, a young lady who I'd noticed had been using crutches started to move towards me. And the Lord said, pray for her, pray for her foot. And so she came towards me, the Lord had been speaking to her and and I said, what can I pray for you about? Man of faith right here, right? And and she said, well, for a year, I've got this genetic or uh, not genetic, a, a nerve disorder. And I haven't been able to feel my leg from the hip down for close to nine or 10 months. And I just felt faith rise up in me. And I said, I believe God wants to heal you tonight. We need to pray. And so I'm praying over her leg. It's just me and her off in a corner. And I'm just praying for her. And the Lord says she needs to walk. And if she walks, she will, to the measure of her faith, to the measure of her walking, she will be healed. And so I told her, "Listen, I, I don't—I don't claim to be a healing. This has happened like three times in my life. But what I hear the Lord saying is that as you step out in faith, He will heal you." And it was profound. She got up and started to to do this, and she starts going, "I can feel my toes." Now I thought this was perhaps a, an, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, doesn't really matter. Um, just like a. Uh, not an emotional thing, but a drama kind of thing It's a lot of times our 13, 14-year-olds may have. But her mom walks in and cries out and begins to weep. And she said just two days ago, she was in the, the doctors and they said they didn't have any hope for her, that there was no hope for feeling to come back to her legs. And as she walked away from me, I said, listen, you have to keep walking on your foot. You have to allow the faith of God to be raised up in your life. I'm gonna do this, uh, I'm gonna turn over the service in just a minute to Pastor. Uh, I know I've gone a few minutes long and I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I do believe there's two things that need to happen. First of all, I wanna ask, is there anyone that wants to choose the Spirit of God for your life tonight or this morning? What I mean by that is I don't know you, I don't know everyone that's sitting here, but you've been listening to me talk, and and, and perhaps the Lord has been tugging at your heart, he's been tapping you on the shoulder and and you need to begin a relationship with him and that's the beginning of it, right? And if that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand, let me catch it. If you're here this morning, is there anyone that wants to, to choose the spirit of God in their lives this morning, anyone? All right, then we're all family, right? We're all family. The second thing that I'd like to do is to give an opportunity to pray if you want to be healed or pursue the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to be here. I don't know how Pastor wants to, to continue to move forward. I know we have another service coming. But as he directs, we will, we will follow his lead. Does that make sense? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this morning and all that you've done. God, I pray that you'll take this word that you have put in in our hearts and that you will just uh, allow it to flourish and bear fruit, Lord God, that you will cause increase. And God, that our faith will be raised up, that we will function in the spirit of God, Lord Jesus, that we will see miracles and that we'll have testimonies for all that you've done in our lives. We trust you in your precious name. Amen.